When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Back to McDavid, who earlier tonight scored his 30th. One-timer cleft bomb, rebound, score! Milan Lucic with his third career hat-trick, and it's unnatural, Hattie! He'll swing it out to the outside, and it is to the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimos! With the touchdown, and the Eskimos take the lead with less than a minute to go. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. The Edmonton Oilers will play in Montreal on Saturday. Currently the half hosting the Calgary Flames. It's 1-1 with three and a half minutes left in the first period. Coyotes and Bruins 1-1 early in the second period. Same part of the game. Penguins leading the Islanders 1-zip in the first, Colorado and Tampa Bay tied 1-1. Panthers out to a 2-0 lead on the Jets. 14-5, Florida out shooting. Winnipeg still to come tonight. The Stars and the Blues. The Flyers take on the Canucks after winning here at Rogers Place yesterday. The Senators struggling. They meet the Kings and the Hurricanes will visit the San Jose Sharks. Oil Kings at home tonight to the Moose Jaw Warriors. That one starts in about an hour. So the Oilers, uh, another bummer last night. I mean, a slow start to the game. Didn't get much going against the Philadelphia Flyers until about 10 minutes left. Okay, fine. Great final push, but you're already down 3-1 at that point and they could not even it up back at practice this morning and they start their first drill and there are a couple of errant passes and Todd McClellan took notice and jumped in right away right away and to paraphrase not happy with their pace not happy with the precision of the passing made the point no one is checking us no one is checking us in this drill, and we still can't complete a pass. And also said, other teams are improving today. What are we doing? McClellan was asked about that after. And they, uh, they need to be reminded. I think um, in, uh, in like today's situation, I thought we carried yesterday's game into today's practice. They kind of had their shoulders rolled over, and they weren't prepared to start. So... Um, the catalyst was the coach today, and, and he barked a little bit, and then we were good. We were we looked like a really good team today in practice. Now, we did that for two days before we played against Philly. As I said last night, the reward should show up in the game. That's the fun time. That's when you get to, to put it all together, and we're fighting that right now. Well, very little they have been able to put together in games this season. You know the story. The Oilers have never won more than two games in a row, and they've only done that twice. We're just past one-third of the way into the season, and uh, it's not good for the Oilers for uh, being in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, yeah, sure, several, uh, lots of games to go, 52 games to go, but 
and I know this is just a site that does mathematical odds and it can change day to day. It doesn't necessarily mean this is how it's going to turn out, but the good old site sportsclubstats.com giving the Oilers a 3.2% chance of making the playoffs ahead of only Buffalo at 0.1 and Arizona basically at a number so small they just list it as zero. So that's what the Oilers are facing. They are six points out coming into tonight, but they have to pass six teams to get into a playoff spot. They're only ahead of Arizona in the West. Death by a thousand cuts, the headline Peter Shirelli gave us last week. One of the cuts that has been very damaging to the Oilers. First periods, starts of games. They did actually score first last night, though it was in the second period. They were uh, pretty convincingly outplayed in the first by the Flyers. Just some quick stats here, folks. And you're probably not going to like these, though I'm sure they won't surprise you if you've been watching. The Oilers have been outscored 31-23 in the first period. So that's uh, through 28 games. So they're giving up over a goal a game in the first period. How about this one? The Oilers have had the lead after the first period just six times in 28 games. They are 5-1. and one. You get that lead after the first, you have a pretty good chance of, of winning the game but they've only had it six times in 28 games, and the Oilers have scored first twice in a row, still only 10 times out of their 28 games this season. They are not a good starting team. They do very little to grab control of games early or put the other team on its heels or, quite frankly, even match the opposition most nights. And I asked Todd McClellan what was up with that. Where we impose our will on other teams, and um, we don't wait for individual catalysts or, or situations to poke or prod our team so that we, we get going. Let's be the, the catalyst as a group. Um, so we're looking for that. And, and I thought today's practice was a prime example. It was, it was designed to get going really quick, not weighed in. And it took us a little while. It took uh, a little bit of barking for us to, uh, to activate and get going. But um, once we barked at them, they responded extremely well. We had a good, crisp, fast practice and, and did, we got our work done. Um, you know, so we're looking for, um, uh, the, for the collective push right off the bat versus waiting for something to happen, good or bad. Well, he said, yeah, the team needs to be the, the catalyst. And you've heard the phrase, you got to start on time. Mike Babcock uses that in Toronto all the time. All the, time. The, the team knows when the game starts. You, you should expect that the other team is going to come out with some ferocity. So you have to at least match it. And it would be nice to exceed it once in a while. And... I mean, I can ask you the question. Most of you have probably watched all or most of the Oilers games. How many times have you thought after the first period or during the first period, wow, they're really into this one? They really look in control. Yeah, maybe the other team's playing well. Maybe the other team's have, having an off night, but the Oilers are, are at least doing what they need to do. Not very often. I mean, they've had some where they've been okay, but they haven't had a lot where they've been absolutely in control. They continue to search for that. The Oilers update here brought to you by Nisku Ford. Every model on sale every day, Nisku Ford above expectations. Connor McDavid was also asked about first periods. Yeah, we haven't been good enough in the first. Uh, you know, we, we always seem to come out sluggish and you know, wait for something bad to happen to, to start to play. And, um, you know, that's not how you have to play in your home building. So, um, you know, another area we got to figure out. 
Yeah, another one for sure. Uh, home building. Yeah, talk about a bad record at home. Five and nine are the Oilers on home ice. They're actually six, six and two away from home. Not bad, not exceptional, but not bad. But home games, home games against the East, especially letting them down. Center Mark Latestu always thoughtful. He's searching for better starts too. It's been few and far between. I think there's been at times we've been we've been going right off the start, but. Uh, we've been seems like we've been waiting our ways into games, uh, waiting for something to happen to then react. Uh, you know, I don't have an answer for why it is the way that is. Uh, unfortunately, the, the way the season's gone early on, we don't have any time to do that anymore. Uh, you know, coach referred to we don't have dog days anymore. We we ran out of them, uh, so we have to we have to be better in that area. We got to start on time. Hopefully, give ourselves a better opportunity to win hockey games. You heard him say it. You got to start on time. They are waiting for something to happen instead of making it happen. And as a result, all that's happening is that the Oilers remain dangerously out of a playoff spot as we move into the second week of December. Oilers and Canadians is the next game here on 630 Ched. That's on Saturday. And then Oilers at Toronto on Sunday. Same broadcast times for both. 3.30 will be the face-off show and the puck will drop at 5. All right. Interesting here. I'm going to play two clips, one from McDavid and one from Latestu. Just uh, kind of asked about their position in the standings. McDavid first. Well, what else are you going to do? I mean, no one's going to roll over in here. Um, you know, this is uh, a long way from over. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's still early. Yeah. December, whatever, early December. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of hockey left, and a lot of divisional hockey left. And, uh, that's, uh, that's something that we have to look forward to. So McDavid saying it's early December. A lot of hockey left. A lot of games against Western teams. A lot of games against Pacific uh, Pacific teams. Can't argue with that. If if they start playing better, yes, uh, an opportunity to make up ground. But here's what Mark Letestu said. At this point, thinking it's still, you know, there's a lot of time. I think you're, you're being pretty naive. I think we've, we've put ourselves in a situation where we have to be desperate every night. And every two points is, you know, we have to have them. There's a lot of teams between us and the playoffs right now. Uh, and we get to jump a lot of them. So if we think there's, you know, a lot of time and, and it's going to come and stick with it, you know, again, that's being naive. we gotta, we got to step it up here. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be gone little more urgency in my mind in Mark Letestu's comment. Now look, what Connor McDavid says publicly into the media may not be how he feels and it may not be the message he's communicating to his teammates. But I think in terms of what you want to hear at fans, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I would think Letestu's words are probably more what you want to hear and resonate resonate with you a little more. 6.15, Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Cam Talbot remains on injured reserve along with Adam Larson and Andre Sekra. Talbot uh, hopefully will return next week. Maybe the same for Larson. Sekra, we're looking Christmas time, New Year's before he's back in the action. He's been out since the playoffs, of course, and Trucker Dave texting in to 630-630. He says the Oilers ended the season on such a high and low the high was a shot away from the West final, and the low was questionable officiating. Like you said, they acted like they already started the season in eighth place overall. Arrogance, maybe, but I think they want that feeling again without doing the work. 
It's not exactly the same team either. That is Trucker Dave. I, I think there was some arrogance earlier in the season, and uh, now I think that is is affected their confidence a little bit. And uh, I mean, it, it, people have used the word, and I've used it. It's they're a confusing team to watch because you see them do things well, and when we all accept that in pro sports, some games you're going to do things well and, and you will lose because the other team has a better night or gets a bounce or uh, scores an overtime or, or whatever. But the Oilers are not often in a position where they can get that, maybe they make that key play at the end of the game and they get a point out of it. I mean, what if it's 2-1 with 10 minutes left instead of 3-1 last night? Then, you know, they tie it, maybe they go to overtime, maybe they win. The power play, late power play, not able to come up with the goal yesterday. Uh, two, uh, we're talking about starting games. Final two periods, pretty good against the Toronto Maple Leafs. What if you play a little better in the first and are down 2-1 instead of 3-1 or or it's 1-1 instead of being down 3-1? And the, and the, the, these are all the little things where every night it's one or two different things. You know, one night it'll be like, okay, they lost because of A and B, and then the next night, oh, they lost because of C and D, and then the next night it's like, oh, they lost because of E and a little bit of A. So, I mean, there's all these different formulas that they're they're finding way to to lose games. Uh, this texture says uh, the Oilers don't look good most nights. They are under motivated, bad special teams. That's Todd McClellan's job. Well, I- I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with one thing you said and not, and not agree with the other. I don't think I have a name on that text. I, I really prefer it if you sign a name to your text. It's more likely that I'll read it. But I, I want to read this one. Um, Special teams, absolutely coaching figures into that. And you got Jay Woodcroft and Jim Johnson working heavily on the special teams as well. Um, So, you know, absolutely. If If you're criticizing the special teams, you have to lump the coaches in there along with the execution of the players. So, fair comment. I still, and this is, a, you know, I've been hosting this show a few years, and when I used to be a TV reporter for sports, this I would often get into this debate with people and I know most people who I've interviewed who have played or coached sports at the high at a high level, and the NHL is obviously the highest level of hockey in the world, will tell you that it's the coach's job to prepare the players in terms of strategy and expectation and all, all accountability, all that kind of stuff. But in terms of being motivated, that that is on the player. And, I, and I've heard that from enough people at, at different levels of sports, but a lot at the high level, that, that I tend to believe it. And, you know, one guy who I enjoy interviewing who has said that is Wally Buono, who's one of the greatest coaches in, in CFL history. And Rob Brown says it, who I do the, the post-game show with after Oilers games. I think it is up to the athlete to find his motivation, his or her motivation. They know when the game starts. They know what they're supposed to do. They know what their jobs are. They know what their teammates rely on them to do. They know how they're supposed to support their teammates. They know that a game requires energy and dedication and physicality and finish and uh, all that kind of stuff. They know that. So I, I think you should be able to do it without your coach having to say, hey, we got a game. Let's all get excited. And, and, and you know, Rob told this story a couple weeks ago. Every player is different. 
the four games. Some guys are, are sipping or, or, you know, guzzling coffee and going around the, the locker room, high-fiving other people and telling jokes, and, and they're all hyper. And Rob says he's had teammates who could who could sit in their stall reading a newspaper up until 30 seconds before they got to go out on the ice, and then they put their helmet on and they walk out, and, and they play just fine. So... And I mean, these are all grown men, and and I, I sometimes I hesitate to make direct comparisons between uh, real life and sports, but I will put it this way: if if you show up for work ten minutes late because you slept in, and then you know you fart around getting your notes ready and turning your computer on and, and talking to other people. Yeah, we'll put them on now, Kellen. Um, that's, that's not, to me, that's not your boss's fault if, you, if you're sloppy to start your workday. That's, that's your fault. Now, if your boss doesn't give you the tools or the instructions of the requirements of the job or, or guidance in terms of working through uh, difficult areas, especially when you're a newer employee, okay, fair enough. Maybe, that, maybe that's on your boss. But I think if you're not excited, or not excited, but if, if you're not prepared to do the fundamentals of your job, I don't think that's on the coach. I, I think that's on the player. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Uh, we're going to let Morgan Black know in the newsroom. Morgan, you're gonna, your news is going to be starting a little late because we do have a special guest on the line. As you know, it is Enforcers Week here on 630 Ched. We have featured a couple of guys with big uh, penalty minute seasons in the Western Hockey League, Brent Gogol and Kerry Toporowski. This guy was in the Western Hockey League and also had over 1,100 penalty minutes in the NHL. Pleased to welcome to the show Tony Twist. Tony, you're on with Reed Wilkins. How are you doing? Good, my good man. Did you call me a special needs student? Is that what you said? Uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't. No, I just, I just that's what I thought I heard. Hey, you don't have to like your coach, don't have to like your team, but if you get paid to do the job, you damn well better do it. So, well, let me ask you. You probably heard the tail end. Is it is it up to a coach to motivate his players, or do they got to be motivated themselves? Hold on, are you kidding me? Just because you're 22 or 21 or 25 doesn't mean you're a kid. You're getting paid. A great deal of money to be motivated. Your coach, his job is to put you in the best position to succeed. That means if you're a grinder, be a grinder. Your score, be a, a goal scorer, defenseman, be one of those guys. But you're not there to be motivated. Your motivation should come from inside, not from the coach. And who taught you that, Tony? <laughs> I don't. Nobody taught me that. I don't think I was being taught that. I think I just. I don't know. I was brought up that way. I don't. I mean, that's not something you teach. If you have to be taught that, good lord, you don't belong in the National Hockey League. Well, I'm glad you said that. I, I appreciate that, uh, Tony. I, you know, we're doing Enforcers Week on the show, and I threw out this idea to my uh, my buddy Rob Brown uh, a couple weeks ago, and he said, "Try to get Tony Twist on the show." Now, I don't know if you ever fought Rob Brown. Brown. <laughs> how's, how's Brownie doing? He's doing great. He's uh, 12 years. He's been on our broadcast here on 6:30. Chad, how about that? I know it. I do know it. I haven't talked to him for ages. So good to hear. What was he like to play against? He was talented. I mean, he was a talented hockey player. Let's not kid ourselves. He was. Uh, he was one of those guys that uh, all he had to do was strap the skates on. His hands were there. He had a toolbox. Had plenty of tools, and when he. When he went to work, he went to work. It was one of those, one of the players that uh, <clears throat> that are few and far between. Practice wasn't something you needed to do; just to be out there doing the game. Tony, you would have played. Sorry, go ahead. Just a talented guy. You know, 
equate them to, you know, guys that, uh, that uh, the skill set's there. I'm, you know, for a guy like me, the, the skill set was never there and had to work on it every day. Uh, Robbie didn't have to. Tony, you played for the Saskatoon Blades, uh, 86 through 88. That's when you would have played against Rob. Uh, I want to talk about other ports of your career, too. But I've been asking guys this question. When did you sort of uh, when did you sort of become an enforcer? When did you realize that being tough and getting in the odd scrap was maybe uh, a ticket to better things for you? Well, it wasn't the odd scrap. It, it, came, uh, it, it, it came, well, by accident, really, at the end of the day, because prior to me playing junior hockey in the uh, Peace Caribou Junior Hockey League, which is the equivalent of the Charlestown Chiefs, um, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I was uh, always an assistant, a captain, uh, a goal scorer on the back end, uh, a power play guy, and come junior hockey at the age of 16, playing for the first Kings, uh, things changed. Uh, you know, <laughs> playing in, a, in a, the Peace Caribou Junior Hockey League, either, you know, you uh, learn how to fight or you get run over. <clears throat> there was games that, you know, we showed up and there's 26 guys on the other team in the warm-up. And you're looking at them going, God damn, that guy's got a full beard. He does not look 20. They're only allowed two overages. They got about eight guys that look 30. There's 30. Yeah, they brought him in from the from the, the lumber towns to, to, to strap on the skates for warm-up. Because when you saw the mitts were being dropped before the game started, warm-up, you still dropping the mitts. So it was, uh, you know, I, when I was in Prince George, it was it was a fight to or or not or or not be around, and I enjoyed it. God, I was uh, it wasn't something I had experience with on the ice. But uh, I'll tell you, when it first started, when it started there, I loved it, and it just elevated from there. Well, and I mean, younger people might be kind of shocked to hear this, but th- there used to be quite a few fights in the warm up, didn't there, Tony? Before the game even started. Are you kidding me? That was uh, not so much in the Western Hockey League, but the Peace Caribou Junior Hockey League. I mean, when you Peace Caribou, just think about that name for a second. We're traveling all over, you know, the British Columbia in the in the mid and the upper, the northern area where, you know, there's not a whole bunch going on. Which means that uh, when you go to Williams Lake and you're reservation, and everybody gets excited to go to the game, and they show up a little bit early, and they've had a few cocktails, and they're not showing up because they're wanting to watch warm-up. They want to see the brawl before it. And there was, there's plenty of those, unfortunately, um, in that in that league. Not to say I didn't enjoy it, but it was uh, scary at some points. Tony Twist joining us on Inside Sports Enforcers Week on the show. Tony, when did you really think you had a shot at the NHL? <laughs> You're going to laugh. Uh, but I never thought about it. Never. When I got drafted, my dad came into my bedroom. We were just, uh, it was, I was in Kamloops, and I think we were uh, myself, and I think Brownie might have been with us, and post, really post Jack, and. Uh, Jeez, a whole, there was a, a bunch of the the old Blazers, and we were out at a. It was a one of the casino boats or a one of those boats that go up and down the river. And we were it was a drinking cruise, I guess. We're out late that night, and he came. Dad came in and said, "You got drafted." I got drafted. That draft was way back when. I'm not going to war because no, got drafted by the St. Louis Blues. 
Really? Okay. Uh, lion. It was a tour, and I, you know, it was 10 o'clock in the morning. I never sat there. I didn't get up till 12. Never put any thought to it. Yeah, I got drafted. Never even, I never even thought about it. Had an opportunity to, to go play in uh, scholarship opportunities, and that was where I was going. Never thought about the Ash Hockey That's amazing. Uh, what's well, your. Yeah, it is. You know, <laughs> granted, where now I'm in, in St. Louis and, and was coaching, you know, kids. My, my son's age, when he was, you know, 8, 9, 10, all the way up to 15, you know, he's 25 now. And every parent was going, you think he has a chance? I think he has a chance. He has a chance. Yeah, he's going to play tomorrow. I don't want to ask all He's 13. He has not yet met girls and booze and drugs in school. Call me in, you know, call me in 10 years or five years. Wow. It's a, it's a different attitude. Uh, Tony, what's, this might be a tough one. Do you have a most memorable NHL fight or maybe a most memorable appoint, opponent? Um, well, I don't know. If, memorable opponent. Link Gates and I, uh, we hooked, he's playing for Spokane, and I was playing in uh, Saskatoon, and we had a couple great punch-in-the-head contests. It was awesome. Darren Kimball and I had... I don't know how many fights we had in junior, but it was it was a lineup. Every time we he came to my city, I went to his. Kimby and I always seemed to have a punch in the head contest. It was fun. It was really was and, uh, memorable. Those were memorable only because when you got done doing that, you really knew you were in a brawl. And it was and it was a and it was a good hearted. Never was there any ill feeling, ill will. At that point in the game, there really wasn't any ill will in my game per se, but those are memorable moments only because you're younger and you know, it was a, it was fun. It was back when it wasn't a wasn't a job as much as it was entertainment. Tony, one more for you here, and I really appreciate your time. When you look at the game now, they're they're still fighting. There's it seems to be decreasing every year or maybe every generation. How do you feel about that? Well, there's two there's two reasons, and and. and I'll be very honest. Number one reason is the guys who were doing the job. You know, you're paid to do a job. It doesn't mean that you're going to be having a written invitation to go do it. When the league started preaching, you know, you had the instigator rule. You had, you know, you got to play both. You don't want to be a liability for the team. You got to be a strong fourth line. Hold on one second. Hold on one second, man. I'll, let me check my resume. No, no, that's not what I was paid to do. Number two, you can't switch gears here because I, I don't have that skill set. I have another skill set. That's to keep everybody on my bench accountable and everybody on the other bench more accountable, which was the job. Whether I play or not play, cardboard cutout is what Al McGinnis said uh, on many occasions. I'd rather have a cardboard cutout of number 18 on the bench and a, t- a 20th player. And why? Because I gave Al McGinnis and everybody else the team an opportunity to play 60 minutes, not get ran over and not get uh, cheap shotted or, or have them not the opportunity to succeed. So with that said, number one, the guys forgot how to do the job. Just because somebody runs over your best player doesn't mean you go after that guy. Hold on. Make the other team accountable. You go after their best player. Run the goaltender over. People smile out of somebody, but don't go after that guy first because 
that's not the message being sent. So the guy forgot how to do the job. Number two, unfortunately, that job is being squeezed out by better hockey. The European game of hockey is is is, is really playing a huge part in, in in what's happening. I mean, a guy like myself, skill set and speed that I have, would never succeed in the league at this point. So. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things. The guys that are doing the job can still have that job if they exercise and do it properly. Don't forget how and why you're there. I think that's what's happened. Tony, it's incredible to have you on the show. Maybe we can catch up again where, where we have a little bit more time, but thank you so you much for... You I got it. I promise you I'll be happy to do it. Right on. Tony, thanks for checking in. All the best. Keep in touch with yourself. Call me back soon. There we go. That is Tony Twist, Enforcers Week, here on Inside Sports. We're late into the news. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Okay, well, that was incredible to have Tony Twist on the show, uh, Enforcers Week here at Inside Sports. That's been fun. Tony uh, calling in from St. Louis, uh, energetic guy. We'll try to get him on the show again. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Thanks to everybody who uh, texted in during the Twist interview. I know a couple of you suggested questions. Sorry I couldn't get to all of those. We'll try next time. Quick NHL update. Flames and Canadians still 1-1 in the second period. Also in the second, 2-2 Avalanche and Lightning, 2-2 Jets and Panthers. Bruins lead the Coyotes 2-1. After the second, Islanders and Penguins are tied 1-1. Eberle has his 12th and five minutes left in the first. Blues up 1-0 on the Stars. Well, uh, I'm really excited here for our our next segment. I've referenced a a couple of times on the show that when I finished uh, Nate, I obviously didn't have a job and thanks to an instructor I had at Nate, he said, you know, the Edmonton Drillers Indoor Soccer Club need a media relations guy. It'd be good experience you can still look for a job in TV or radio. Well, why don't you go do this? So I did it. I, I did it for four months, and then I got my first job in Lloyd Minster. I left the Edmonton Drillers in March of 2000. In October of 2000, I believe, they folded. The owner of that team, my old boss, <laughs> Wojtek Wojcicki, joins us now. Wojtek, thanks a lot for coming in. Thanks, Reed. Nice and to see you again. It's great to see you as well. This is incredible to catch up. And, uh, I mean, obviously I reached out to you because of the FC Edmonton news where sure. they're sort of, they, they exist, but they don't have a league, and the, the coaching staff has been, you know, allowed to go pursue other, other opportunities. Um, let's talk about specifically the Edmonton Drillers, and this was the indoor version of the Drillers, the right? Indoor. You, how did you first become interested in, in purchasing the team? How did it shake down to begin with? Well, it was, you know, it was interesting in the sense that uh, I didn't come up with the idea myself. Um, you know, I had reached a particular level in terms of um, uh, doing things in business, and I had the ability in order to give back to the community. So there was an option to me. And the option was I either invest in the Oilers with the new Oiler ownership group because of everything that was happening at that time with Pocklington, or to um, pursue a soccer team. And that was never really brought to my attention 
because I had uh, sights on actually becoming part of that oiler ownership group because I knew most of the people that were there. And uh, I, I mean, I was involved in putting together that campaign of SOS, which was Stay Oiler Stay, which, you know, got all that fame in Time Magazine and so on and so forth. So wanted to keep things local. And um, uh, a staff member of uh, in-house, uh, the advertising agency that I owned, uh, came to me and said, you know what, we need to save soccer. There's this thing called the drillers, and I had never gone to a game. Really? Okay. Yeah. So um, I started looking into it, and uh, Peter had lost the franchise, so it had to be actually bought. And uh, it was, you know, there, there was some money that had to lay, uh, be laid down, and a deal had to be established in order to be able to have the team perform over at the Coliseum, at Northlands Coliseum. So all of those things were checkpoints. You know, I brought in business people, the whole bit, and I thought, well, you know what, we're going to give back to the community because, you know, as you know, it's pretty prohibitive for a lot of kids and families in order to be able to see an exciting sport indoors in the, in the middle of winter. Mm-hmm. And this was something that we could give to the community. Soccer was on the grow and, uh, or on the go and growing, and um, it was the right thing to be able to do. So this was the the driller, was it uh, Zach Pocklington, the son that was kind of operating them when you took over the team? Well, I think Zach was uh, operating it. Okay. I, I don't think that Peter actually even operated that team. He, you know, he, he used the team um, as basically filler with the type of... Um, um, uh, deal that he had for rent of the Coliseum. I don't know if you remember or recall, but uh, basically he paid a dollar right. for the rent of that um, of that building to keep the Oilers here. And um, he owned the facility for about 340 days out of the year. And the only exception was um, uh, Klondike Days or, or K-Days and uh, the Rodeo, right. Right? which were sort of Northlands uh, owned the venue at that particular time. So he needed to fill it with events. So the drillers came along and he basically gave away tickets to the soccer community. So you you come in and you and you want to preferably sell tickets. Well, <laughs> so I had to. That must I, have been. Well, well, I had to, right? Because, um, you know, for a minimum amount, right? Mm-hmm. But um, we knew that the attendance was there. Um, there was no way that I could get a deal as far as concessions were concerned. There was no parking revenue. There was limited advertising in there. So this was going to be a tough tough go. I bought a team with 23 season ticket holders. And we managed over the years in order to bring it over 8,000. So when you were there, we were close to that number. Yeah, I, I, I vaguely remember that number. Which, which at that You owned time, it, what, four, four years did you own the team? Three. Three years you owned so, the team? So, so that's pretty good growth, 23. <laughs> well, yeah, so, so basically, you know, we had, uh, we had nothing. And we needed to be able to grow. But but the deal, you know, here's something I remember: yeah. the deal you weren't paying a dollar rent for the Coliseum. No, no, and 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 uh, what was going to happen versus what actually happened was that it left me in a position where I actually had to pay a lot of money for the rent of the Coliseum. And the only way that that rent would go down is to be able to bring in an audience uh, into into that particular building. So if I brought in X number of people, but I still didn't have any revenue coming.
coming in. So it was basically check after check after check. And I was the only one involved in the ownership, so it was a sole ownership. Yeah, well, I remember that for sure. Okay, so... um are you at Liberty? Like how much? Can you tell me how much you paid for the franchise, or uh, can you give a ballpark? I, I, I can give you. Uh, well, the, the franchise uh, there was um, uh, it was over a hundred thousand dollars for the franchise itself. Okay. US. Mm-hmm. And uh, but there was also a caveat attached to that because most of the teams, and this was the league of the indoor soccer, the NPSL, and so it had. You know, I was sitting at the table with um, the people that owned the Detroit Red Wings, uh, people that were the, um, um, the patent holders of synthetic oil, right. of Buffalo, uh, guys that, own, I was just this guy that owned an advertising agency in town and I just wanted to be able to save a team. So they wanted assurance that the team would be here a minimum of three years. And I had to put up a, uh, um, a GIC to guarantee that. Wow. Okay. And so it was, uh, uh, and I lost that GIC. So that was north of uh, north of a half a million dollars. Oh, my. north of half a million dollars. Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. Wojtek Wojcicki joining us here on Inside Sports. Own the uh, Edmonton Drillers late '90s, I guess into into 2000. The in, the indoor team, which was actually, as, as I got to do the media relations, I mean, great athletes, interesting sport. Uh, with the well, way the scoring worked. There were two-point goals, there were three-point goals, a lot of action. So what we managed to be able to do, Reed, is we probably assembled the best talent of Canadian soccer players because the rules were that we needed to be able to have 80-85% Canadian content in, in, in our particular roster, right? So we had basically a 90% Canadian squad and they these were players that played on the national team so they came at the you know from the highest levels so you 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 get into this Voitech mm-hmm. and you did a great job increasing the season ticket base but when did it I don't know if there was a moment or if it was gradual. Did you have that, oh, my God, I don't know if this is going to work. Like, I'm putting a lot of time and money into this, but where's the payoff? After I phoned my wife when I was in Cleveland in order to be able to secure the franchise, I picked up the phone and I said, are you sure we want to do this? And my wife said, thumbs up. She said, yes, we want to give back to the community. When I got back into Edmonton, uh, there was an issue between the Oiler ownership group and Northlands, uh, and it all had to do basically with a um, um, uh, with a clock, score clock. You know who was renting, so on and so forth. The subsidies were taken away from from the Oiler ownership group. The city wasn't going to pay that two million dollars for the rent of Northlands. There was a kerfuffle. So basically, now all of a sudden, I became a renter of the facility. Right. right? And uh, the, the, the first time that I thought this was going to be a really huge uphill battle was I went to see a number of the local soccer associations thinking that they would be thrilled that, you know, we'd be holding on to the team to grow the sport in the city. And I remember, I'm, I'm not going to mention names, but I'm sure if he's listening, he'll, he'll remember the comment. I looked across the table and I had a couple of players with me and we were so excited. And, you know, I'm, I'm on a roll in order to be able to keep this team, save this team. And um, I said, look, I just want to be able to somehow connect 
with your particular players and their families. And one of the ways to be able to do that is we have a schedule. You don't put your schedule together until a, a certain time. I don't want you not to play on our game nights, right? But I need people in order to be able to come in. Mm -hmm. Could you sort of lessen the number of games that are being played? And a guy looked across from me and he said to me, he said, why should we line your pockets? <laughs> That's an interesting story. It is an interesting story. So you were a little isolated then. <laughs> well, you know, you... you Sports is a funny business because um, to the person that owns it, you know, you understand the value of dollars and cents. To those that want to be a part of it, right, they don't have any skin in the game. And uh, it, 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 it makes for remarkable relationships. Wojtek, I, I, look, I, I, I kind of... I almost hate to, I almost hate myself for doing this because sometimes I almost offhandedly tell stories about briefly working for a pro sports franchise yeah. that that folded shortly yeah. after I left. For you, it was your life and your passion for several years, like you mentioned. But I got to ask you this, man: like, was the heat shut off in the basement of that building? Oh no! <laughs> like, were we were we paying bills or what was going oh, yeah. on? No, 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 we were paying bills. <laughs> it was always you know, so cold down to, there. It got to a point where I couldn't afford. You know everything at the end, right? But, right. Uh, yeah. No, we were paying our bills. Did your I own the actual building? You okay? So you own that actual yeah. building, all right? But did your so in-house advertising was the name of your company? Yeah. Did that business suffer, or did you have to cut that? I, I had I had to shut down that business. It eventually shut down, eh? I, well, because you know the drillers were owed the you know the 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 number one creditor the most amount of money and that was that was the advertising agency so it was my money and the company's money that was going into it i mean how did you make it through this without going nuts it was tough you know I, <laughs> like i'm not um, being sarcastic well, but that's no, tough man. I, I i um you know there was always hope mm -hmm. right and uh everything was increasing in terms of numbers uh, everything was uh, looking good, and I was very, very close in order to be able to make it work. And um, in order to be able to, it wasn't recovering the losses, but it was just to, to um, sustain that particular team. I did everything that was possible in order to be able to do that. And uh, it just became very difficult in order to be able to to do that on your own what what i mean obviously you 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 were you you were a business owner and we should tell people you have remained a business owner you didn't fall off the map just because no. of the soccer team no. um so you've always managed people personalities you know mm -hmm. the importance of that but did w owning the drillers dealing with athletes managers coaches staff mm -hmm. like me did that did you what was that human element like? What else did you learn? You know, I wasn't in a position where I could just basically park the money and buy a management staff in order to be able to do this. Uh, I had to get involved. And part of the magic of, of um, bringing people on board is to be able to meet the owner, especially for a particular franchise or for a particular sport that needed to be sold in the marketplace. So I put my passion into it because I felt that it was the right thing to do. Um, uh, it, it got me involved deeply in, in terms of the, um, 
um, uh, the work that I did, mostly public relations, issue management, um, and I fell in love with the sport. I really did. I fell in love with the athletes that were there. Uh, fell in love with their families. You know, we became close. They were they were coming over to our place to celebrate Christmas and and so on and so forth. And I think that you remember those times. Uh, it was a great place to work. Wojtek, can you stick around a few sure. minutes after 7? Because sure. there's a couple more I want to ask you. And, and I think the big one that people are going to be interested in is how do you tell the players, the coaches, yep. the people in the staff selling tickets or writing press releases that uh, the team doesn't exist anymore. That's probably one of the most difficult conversations you've ever had. Wojtek Wojcicki is in studio, former owner of the Edmonton Drillers Indoor Soccer Club. want to remind you that we have the uh, Oilers game coming up on Saturday. Oilers at Canadians. That's Furnace Family Oilers Hockey. Edmonton's Furnace Replacement Experts. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. So we'll spend a few more minutes with Wojtek. We also have Derek Zalaski coming in studio. Uh, WHL referee hit a big milestone Stone. He's an Edmontonian. And Becky Scott's going to join us as well, two-time Olympic medalist in cross-country skiing. She's originally from Vermilion, but uh, now very important job as the chair of the WADA Athletic uh, Athletes Committee, and we'll get her reaction to Russia being tossed from the Winter Olympics. All ahead, Inside Sports on Chad. 6.30 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.